Hello, everyone. Welcome to Collisions YYC Current and Critical. I'm your host, Tyler Chisholm. Thank you for joining me today for another good old-fashioned chat. Today's show is brought to you in partnership with our newly minted relationship with St. Corporate Training. After 18 months and hundreds of conversations with the leaders, innovators, and the movers and shakers in our city, two things have become abundantly clear. The future of work has arrived, and it always has been all about the people. So whether you're an individual looking to upskill or an organization looking to reskill an entire division, SAIT has the team, the curriculum, and more importantly, the advisors to partner with you to build what you need to adapt for the road ahead. Do yourself a favor and take the time to learn a little bit more. Check them out at www.sate.ca slash corporate training. And more importantly, give them a call, have a consultation, and find out what SAIT can do for you. Hello and a warm collisions. YYC welcome to Mr. John Hetherington. How are you, John? Yeah, doing great, Tyler. Great to, great to meet you again and looking forward to the chat. Yeah, thanks so much for coming on. And I'm going to start big and bold. And when we're joking around of, you know, the always, you know, I've been on your LinkedIn, you've got your hand and you're involved in a lot of different things, which I think is going to really fuel an awesome conversation. But I said, John, how do you want me to introduce you? And your answer, which I love, is a slayer of technology complexity. So I'm going to just like, we just dropped, we just got into an elevator together and, you, and I said, hey, John, what do you do? And you threw that out. And I cure, and I quickly say, what? Say again? So, with that said, what uh, how do you how, how do you unpack Slayer of technology complexity for the audience? Yeah, it's it's a funny one that I just came up with, with recently actually because I, I meet so many people um, around who love technology. I mean, technology is amazing, and everyone loves the idea of technology. But when you start getting into the weeds, everyone gets fearful and uh, it gets complicated and it gets frustrating and suddenly there's budget overruns and time delays and it's like oh so. So I just saw all this and I figured there must be a way to make dealing with technology more simple. And for me, that comes back to really taking it back down to basics, which is creating that end goal, that vision. Why are we doing this? And then creating a structure around how we deliver that. But and, well, you, it starts you, really simple. Okay. I'm just curious. Well, and you, just to give a little bit, you're an adjunct instructor at SAIT, which is how you and I met. Mm. You obviously, you run your own consulting business. You work with Lumina Management Consultants. But I've looked at your resume. It's a little bit of a who's who for the resource sector. You've been in this game for a long time. So I'm curious what that, that phenomenon that you just shared about, you know, yeah, technology is amazing, but where are we at in that cycle? Is it because now we've, we've had fails? We've had project overruns? Are we more skeptical or less? Like, I feel like we're in a world where everyone's talking about digital transformation, but those fears sound like they run deep and they've probably been built over like the last couple decades, even depending on what organization you're in. Is it getting worse or is it getting better when it comes to that fear? It's it definitely getting worse. The, what, what's interesting is that, I mean, if you look back on a, a recent stats around how much money we spent in Canada on digital transformation last year, it's, it's in the billions. It's huge. It's $28 billion last year. But then you look at stats from McKinsey saying how 70% of digital transformations fail to reach their goals. So if you're applying 70% to that $28 billion, in Canada alone, we're wasting $20-odd billion here. And a lot of that is because, to your point, the pace of technology change is accelerating. It has been accelerating for many years. There's a lovely, really informative chart from Ray Kurzweil who shows how the pace of technology change is accelerating exponentially over the last, well, it's over the last 100 years, but in the last 20 to 30 years, it's really picking up pace. And in our personal lives, we have so much access to technology so easily with apps on our phone, um, new technology, new consumer technology coming out all the time. That's now bleeding into our enterprise organization world, where before 
enterprise organizations used to be the, the best technology out there, you know, 10, 15 years ago, that was where you went for technology, the best PC, the best um, mainframe, if you like. Now we have great technology at home and it changes so rapidly. So the pace of change is very difficult to keep up with. No, I joke often with clients of like, you know, when is Amazon your competitor? They're like, no, no, we don't sell the same things. I'm like, no, no, the experience that they provide to their customers is the experience your customer demands from you now across the board of convenience and well-organized and that user experience. And I know maybe talking uh, oversimplifying here, but uh, you're right. As consumers, we have this expectation and we do a lot of work in the B2B space with, you know, mid to larger companies in Western Canada. And there's this idea that that customers, it's going to be okay that if it's not as good as those consumer experiences they have man we're a finicky bunch though like that demand is escalating and customers patience i read an article the other day about you know almost the risk of all this convenience that we're creating and it's we're kind of losing our grit if you will because we're so used to it Mm. but when you think about it from a technology perspective convenience is is literally feels like the number one like remove friction like let's just change the word but just make my life easier make it better make it smoother I'm sure you run into that. That's, when you talk about the problem, I could imagine that's got to be at the root of a, a large majority of them, or at least a factor to it. Mm. And, and that's why I always like to, when people start talking to me about, hey, we want to go to the cloud, or we want to introduce AI or machine learning, and we want to get into big data, it's, that's great. Love the, love the enthusiasm. Let's do it. But first, <laughs> let's focus on what we want to achieve, why we want to look at new technology, what problems are we trying to solve? And then that spawns a whole new conversation around, we have so many problems. Everything's a problem. It's, you know, that, that's why we have busy days at work. That's why we're in meetings back to back. So going back to that simplifying technology and the digital transformation side, it's break down that problem. And I like to use a framework, which actually has three very distinct sections of problem classification. So it starts with the uh, eliminate, like what are the irritants, the barnacles, the the things that just waste your time on a day-to-day basis. And these could be even unproductive meetings, but it might be too many approvals or 10 people to interview someone or you need approval to hang a poster on the wall. So that'd be the first category, the eliminate. Then you go to the optimize. So the optimize is typically transaction-level chains of events or processes which you could automate with technology. And again, I always pick on invoice processing because that's a very easy one to see how how we could automate the processing, the review, approval, and payment of an invoice under a certain level. And then the third category is the transform. And that's the humanized element. That's not, that's even less about technology. That's more about how we can apply to your point that, that customer service, that really good level of service that people expect. And then what technology applies to that. So if I'm thinking of the hierarchy of a large organization, I'm taking a stretch here so you can tell me if I'm completely out, out to lunch. If I even think about the levels of, of an organization from the board to the to the C-suite to you know, the strategy that they're setting to the managers that need to implement to the individuals that are dealing with it, does that also, like, it feels like they're, that those different, you know, almost Venn diagrams or, or you know, kind of different stages uh, eliminate, optimize, and transform. Eliminate feels like if I'm like day-to-day in the grind and it's just like one roadblock after another, I feel that eliminate would be very motivating to me. Where sometimes mm-hmm. I've talked to a lot of executive teams and it's all about optimize. We're going to make this better. We're going to do this. We're going to drive costs down. And, you know, it sometimes feels like maybe, okay, great, we've got this big initiative, but don't they know I'm dealing with all these roadblocks? And I've had those conversations at different hierarchies. And then when you have transform, arguably it should be the end result for everybody that it elevates the human experience. But it almost feels like those other two might be at first talked about, but then also at different levels of the organization. So when it gets into change management, am I like, am I out left field for starters as I fabricate this theory in my mind here as I chat with you? 
No, no, that, that's spot on, actually, Tyler, because, again, we assume when everyone talks about technology project or digital transformation, they assume it's a massive program which can last years and cost hundreds of millions of dollars, and it really doesn't have to be like that. True, there are big transformation programs that we need to go through, but then to your point, which you made really well around Eliminate, is that we as human beings need quick wins. We need to see progress results. If we're tying onto this three-year program, that's great. Vision is important, and if that's articulated well, then great. But typically, we as people, we need to we need uh, little treats along the way, if you like. I, always, um, <laughs> I do like I that. Do yes, of, uh, <laughs> I do a lot of dog training. I have uh, two working breed dogs, a German Shepherd and a Border Collie, and me uh, learn a lot around dog training, but also learn a lot about how I interact with them and how I bring them along. And Again, treats along the way, and that's the same with people. It's, it's, <laughs> as, as, as we're going to work every day, we're committed to really doing a good job. We need to know we're doing the right job at the right time and getting that recognition. And sometimes that's just our self-recognition, knowing we've done a good job, which is an eliminate on a daily basis. I, I love the dog. I'm, I'm recently, a, I'm a COVID cliche, so I'm recently a new puppy owner, and it's an Australian Shepherd. So loves right. to work, loves to perform, and I'm starting to learn so much about myself and how I treat reward and praise, and it's really, like, because with the dog, it's real time. Like, that reflection comes back to you almost instantaneously. I, I wonder who's training who some days, but that's a, that's, yes. that's, that's, that's another <laughs> story. Uh, yeah, I like what you talked about, and to me that feels like. And I've had a few people on. I recently had uh, Stuart McDonald from uh, WestJet on, uh, the head of IT over there, talking about. He goes, "Yeah, the, the old days of these two-year initiatives." He goes, "If we need to spin something up in two weeks because we need to see it, we need to move forward." And he goes, "Yeah, you have to have a bigger plan." But he goes, "It's a much different world now, where you have teams that are trying to get those quick wins and trying to do those little micro projects of, you know, how do we fix this sign-in process versus how do we like, wow, you know what, this this submitting my." Uh, expenses is taking forever. Well, if we automate that, that'll say, and I was in a room also with a bunch of very large, like enterprise level companies and all the stuff they were celebrating were tiny little workflow fixes. And I was kind of impressed and my mindset was like, Oh, this is a three year initiative. We can't see the end, but it'll probably take five. Everyone will be frustrated. Budget overruns. Are we moving to like, yes, you need a big plan, but is it so much more about those little mini sprints now? It is very much. I mean, I love agile type delivery and I appreciate that agile doesn't work for a lot of big established organizations. So we we can definitely circle back to that. But just to pick up on your point around breaking down those bigger goals, an example, I'm working with a a client just recently around reducing the effort on their financial month end close. So we're reducing the total close process by uh, three to four days. But to achieve that three to four days reduction is going to maybe take six months. So to start, we're just reducing half a day per month. Just, just something. And even that's a bit of a stretch. So it break, and then we break it down into hours. So we're just looking for those little bit. How can we take a couple of hours off this month end close? And then just, then that builds up over time, over several months. Then we get to our three to four day reduction. So it's starting with those little, and that's, that's where we apply these mid, middle, sorry, these mini agile sprints to that overall project. And does that also contribute, again, I'm assuming to 
replacing this daunting, overwhelming, oh, yeah, remember we did that last two-year implementation of some new, mm. year, like, whatever, XYZ thing, and it went poorly, and everyone was frustrated and burned out at the end. It also feels like it's starting to reprogram that, yes, these technology projects can be short. You can Everyone gets to have their fingerprints on it, because when you're doing workflow, you need to know how everyone's doing it now, so you can fix it, arguably. So it feels like it could be more inclusive than it might have been in the past, where it was something that was being done to you, versus something you were involved in improving. Maybe just back to the whole change management side of things. Mm. Yes, exactly that, Tyler. You're spot on. It's it, although the overall delivery might be multi-year, big program initiative, we're effectively like like you said earlier with the accelerating pace of technology change. Our appetite for change is is increasing. We do need that change more often, but we also need to manage that change carefully. So breaking it down into small chunks makes it much easier to digest. Plus, it gives us as people that that quick win around. Oh, okay, I've, I've achieved something in a few weeks or months as opposed to waiting for that multi-year delivery. Everybody loves a win. Like we're, we're not, we're, yes. we're, 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 we're complex, but sometimes not really. You know what I mean? And I say that in a complimentary way. I feel like I've made something better and man, I, and that I contributed to the organization and that I took part in that, like the back to the eye. There's a, there's a lot to be said. We can't, it's easy to overlook something you said that and I wanted, you, I wanted to touch. Sorry, go ahead. Go ahead. I got something thinking. My brain, my brain's spinning, John. You got me thinking about a million things. <laughs> yeah. And it's interesting because you touch on that, that humanizing change management aspect of technology. And that's where I go back to this slaying of technology complexity because Another way to look at technology is is a great analogy I, I saw from Nadia Yusuf on a recent TED talk where she articulated that you treat technology like a coworker. I, I love and that. Effectively, you're treating technology, you're humanizing technology because we see it as this instant solution that's going to solve all our problems. And that's often just not the case. We all know how difficult it is to work with technology sometimes. So if you start to humanize it by treating it like a coworker, it starts to give you a structure for simplifying that technology delivery and ultimately make sure it gives you what you need from solving problems. So if we were to break that down, a, a great analogy is on that treating it like a coworker is even just starting with onboarding as, as I think we were chatting just before there, Tyler, around an onboarding experience for a new company. Sometimes those are really good and sometimes those are really terrible, right? Yeah. <laughs> well, so I, if you it, treat your technology, so if you apply that onboarding experience to your technology, when technology is coming into your company, it's being onboarded. There needs to be an onboarding process. There needs to be that those stages of introducing the technology to people, connecting them with a the team, giving people um, training and communication around what this new technology is. Where Where is this technology even on the org chart? It's, it's really understanding the concept of this new person, this new concept in your organization. And what I imagine, would that stem from the fact that I would say in the past, and again, I'm just projecting or thinking about different incidents I've been involved with or seen, where it's like, well, no, technology, that's something IT does. They do that, and then I get it, and then I use it, and they're like, where, but now everybody's involved in technology, and there's like, there's being the full stack developer, and then there's just technology literacy. And it feels like we're moving to a place where, you know, and I know IT often was kind of set over, and you only called them when something was broken, and like that old, all those old jokes or Dilbert cartoons or however you want to do that. For now, this is about how the business operates. It's how you deliver value to the customer. It's like, it feels like, like, I love the way, I love that analogy of treating like a coworker, because now this is part and parcel to, you know, a technology solution isn't something IT takes away and brings back to you and says it's done. They need to work with you to understand your workflows and understand like the impact it's going to have. And it feels like that is part of that shift of like the old IT culture versus maybe this new, more integrated, like this is all of our responsibilities to, to change these things. Yeah, it, it, exactly that. And, and similar to that analogy of onboarding and treating technology like a coworker, we 
HR as a key role, human resources as a key role to play on onboarding a, a new person into your organization and your team. But we don't assume HR controls everything and is, and is going to see that through forever. They have a key part to play. But as soon as that person comes into your team, your organization, your department, you then start to work with them. And that's the same with IT. IT have an absolutely key role for making sure the technology works well and it's integrated well into the company. But then we as a team would then take that and build on it. So then we work with IT, we work with HR to make sure they have a, a really good experience. And that's, that's, I, there's a recent book called uh, Collective Genius by Linda Hill, a Harvard Business School professor. And she has a great quote, which I think really articulates how we need to work, think about technology in a new way. And her quote is that we unleash the genius in each of our people and then combine that to create a collective genius. So it's not about the genius of individuals so much anymore. It's about combining that genius into a collective, a collaboration. So you need to think about technology as a collaboration of people and data and process all together. Which really stems into like how leadership is changing and how inclusivity is so much more like you need those varying perspectives at the table, especially for these complex engagements where there's, you know, there's, there's humans involved on all sides of the chain. I, lo- I love the inclusivity piece of kind of what the, the collective genius because it's not the, you know, I guess I, there's a, there's a quote. I can see it, but I can't quote it. Something about if you could only tap in to the knowledge base of your organization, like what could you could be capable of if you truly could access it and get it to come together, which, yeah, I, there's a quote I read years ago, but that collective genius sums it up nicely. Yes. And it's, it's so much It also touched into, um, a, a, a great, uh, mega trend by Peter Diamandis. So. Okay. Peter Diamandis is a, an amazing tech entrepreneur. It focuses a lot in the health space around how biotech can help us live longer, ultimately. Mm-hmm. And every year he does uh, mega trends for technology advancement. And his mega trend number three for this year was around knowing anything, anytime, anywhere. And Peter was articulating that we're heading towards this world of perfect knowledge, believe it or not. Because we have a trillion sensors gathering data, you'll be able to know anything, anything you want, anytime, anywhere. And so his point is, because we can know anything, anytime, anywhere, the key point now is not about getting the right answers, it's about asking the right questions. Yeah. So again, less about the technology, it's, and I love your quote around the fall in love with the problem, not the technology. It's If we ask the right questions, we're not falling in love with technology. We're falling in love with a problem and then trying to understand that problem, which then goes back to that first stage of simplifying that technology complexity. So much, so interesting when you come back to the human side of all this. Something I want to touch on, and it kind of ties into this, you talked about bigger organizations and sometimes how they struggle with agile and that type of approach. So I'm curious, in your work, and I'm assuming you work across all different sizes, you know, when you think about digital transformation, again, I know big buzzy term, but you think about the obstacles or the opportunities for small businesses versus mid-market versus enterprise, how does it break down? Like, I had someone say to me the other day, and this is coming from the point where I said, well, you know, big data, and like, are you immediately do you have an advantage as a larger enterprise? They're like, actually, no, because so much of the data is siloed. And they said, a mid-market mm. client who has more understanding of what their data is, what it means, and how to use it can leapfrog ahead when it comes to getting that data correlated in a way that then can then be used than a large enterprise, which was like, oh, when you – like, I didn't have that filter in my mind, but when they said it, it made sense. So I'm curious of your perspective of just kind of for broad sweeps, the three tiers of businesses and how they're engaging and who's got more opportunity or more or what the obstacles – how does it look different across the across the landscape? Yeah, there is a difference, and it's more the difference difference on how you approach it rather than the potential upside. Because I was reading a, some research just the other day around 
if you if you're a data driven organization you're 19 more times more likely to be more profitable so 19 times more likely to be more profitable and you'll actually end up reducing costs by at least 10% if you're data driven the challenge is that across the board both small to large organizations is that most organizations, I think it was 75%, they actually lack the skills to really leverage that, that data in the right way. So then back to your point around, does that apply more to smaller organizations or less to big organizations? And every organization has a challenge around, especially data. And the number one challenge I see is that we always go to the data first. So similar to going to the technology first, we go to the data first because I need to gather stats on my website hits i need to so as a small entrepreneur selling products online i go go to collect all the data that google analytics which is very easy and free to do you get the data and then then you say oh what do i do with all this data and then similarly with big organizations they have tons of data and then they say well let's all put it together on data lake again both where it's small or big both great concepts you need to understand your data for sure but that's to start with your data is the wrong approach you need to start with that right problem, that goal, that vision. And going back to that example of the month-end close, I'm gathering data to improve the month-end close process for one of my clients. But we're starting with the – we did some uh, design thinking sessions to gather the data, gather the information around where we focus our efforts. So it's all about starting with the right problems, coming up with a hypothesis about what we want to solve, and then start to gather the data. Yeah, in fact, I'm, I'm hearing a theme, uh, John, start with the problem, <laughs> understand the problem, mm-hmm. fall in love with the problem. But you're right, it's so easy sometimes when you're not sure or, or it's a bit anal- amorphous, you can't put your hands on it. Well, okay, we know we have data, so let's go start there and see if it tells us anything. But if you're mm-hmm. not asking it the right questions, you're I like, yeah, we can get any information anywhere, but to solve what problem for what outcome and what, and what purpose. <laughs> So an interesting story I was just that, to illustrate that point, the starting with the right problem and just to put a refinement on that is starting with the, the goal, the outcome you want to achieve, which typically manifests as a problem. But I was um, in, when I was working with the, in the financial services industry, uh, one of our uh, problems or challenges is we wanted to speed up the um, in, uh, insurance, uh, issuing insurance to clients because it was taking too long to get reviews and approvals done. So they said, in this day and age, we need, to your point, the speed of technology change. We need, we need insurance much quicker. So we, we spent a long time refreshing the systems, the, the processes, understanding how we could get it quicker. But then we also had the, the really good idea of speaking to the users, speaking to the consumers, the people who actually bought insurance. And what we found is that some of them, yes, wanted insurance very quickly because you're buying a house, you're buying a car, you need insurance instantly. But when you get into more uh, long-term insurance policies, they were less concerned with the speed of insurance. They were actually more concerned with the what happened at the end of the insurance term. And interesting enough, when we spoke to a couple of, uh, well, we spoke to many um, of the user groups, the customers, a lot of them actually were expecting a bunch of flowers and a box of chocolates at the end of their insurance policy. And, and we're, we're very much, what, where, where did this come from? <laughs> what are you talking about? I, I, would, I would not, he, I would have not thought of that. Absolutely, not at all. <laughs> and, and so what we found out is that the, the agents, when they were speaking to the, the customer, they were actually saying, yep, we're going to give you this insurance policy. It's going to have great returns, you know, life coverage and, and cover all your needs and protect your family. And when it matures, you'll get a bunch of uh, flowers and a box of chocolates. 
And this was part of their sales process. It wasn't in the formal business process, but it was part of their sales process. And a lot of the clients were actually hooked on that. They loved that. They loved that little neat touch at the end because the typically it was a, uh, either sent to the house and the door, you see that, or they actually went round to the time, went round to the houses and actually delivered these chocolate and flowers. So you know, this is sometimes 10 years later and they were getting these policy maturity chocolates and flowers and they loved it. So we then weaved that into the process and we got so much better results. What I'm hearing also loud and clear is never, never assume you know what the customer values because you think that's what they value. Right. And that is such a trap of the ego of, no, no, I, I know. Have you talked to them? You know, even from a marketing perspective, there was years where we would work with clients and, and I'll, I'll be blunt, kind of take their word for it. We realized very quickly that if we were not talking to customers, we were barely getting 50% of the story at best. Right. We were getting yeah. a very, you know, often idyllic view or sometimes a perception of negativity that they hate this. And it's like, no, no, it's actually they love that. That, they don't like that over there, but to, to, to the point is get out there and talk to your and talk to your customers or your users, whatever your whatever your situation is. I was going to say there's another quick um, story which is very interesting. So uh, Ron Johnson, who used to who's responsible for setting up Apple stores, so he's the guy. He's a retail guru. So Ron Johnson set up the Apple stores, introduced the Genius Bar, you know, massive success around the whole Apple Store concept, which is groundbreaking for the industry, and and a lot of people have copied that since. I mean, back in, I think it was early 2012, 2010, 2011, he, um, he took over Target to revamp how Target uh, stores with department stores were doing because they were starting to have a bit of a slide in their share price and revenues. So he applied the Apple Store concept to Target stores and created boutiques, wanted to, to get, got rid of all the, the, the uh, discounts and the, 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 um, not markdowns on the labels. Mm-hmm. Um, which again, applying that Apple concept successfully to target, but it was actually a complete disaster. It didn't go well at all. He, he, he was uh, within a year, I think it was 18 months. He was, uh, the share price tanked, the revenues were down. People were flooding away from target. And the unfortunate thing is that Ron had a concept which worked really well at Apple for users, but then customers, but it didn't apply to target customers because they loved the coupons. They loved the discounts. They loved finding the bargains in the stores, even though it was a bit of a, a mind game around what discounts you're actually getting. But because of that, the whole concept of boutiques and fixed price just didn't apply to target customers. So then again, that's that. Listen to the customers. Understand what the customers really value, even if it's not what you think they should be valuing. That's also an example of a consultant having a card trick that worked before and that we could just use it again. Right, <laughs> Not yeah. to be critical because it's, you know, I have a, I used to have a creative director. You always said like, never forget permissibility. You can have the best idea, but if your audience, your customers don't permit you or don't believe that that's who you are, like that, that example, it'll never, it'll never fly no matter how good quote unquote you think the idea is while it's sitting on the, on the whiteboard or on the PowerPoint presentation. Exactly. Yes. Mm. Uh, John, from your, preview of who you work with. Um, obviously, you're, ba- you're based in Alberta. Uh, do you work broad? I'm just, my question where I'm going to go is kind of where we sit, like, you know, that talent, that, sorry, not talent, but that, oh, we will talk about talent, actually, but that technology deficit and where Alberta companies sit in trying to kind of catch up to where they need to be to maybe where we're headed versus the rest of Canada or other jurisdictions in the world. And again, not knowing when you and I didn't chat about this prior, curious kind of your view of where we're at as, you know, Calgary, but Alberta mainly, but against even the rest of Canada or even North America or global kind of where we sit on this on this digital journey that you know globally we're all we're all on but arguably some people are farther ahead than others yeah great great concepts and question because 
there's a lot of perception out there that Alberta, oil and gas, we're behind. It's difficult to change, very heavily government, government regulated, low oil prices, although they're doing pretty well at the moment. That perception does have some grounding for sure. There is a lot of frustrations mm-hmm. in how fast we're moving with technology and digital and making progress. But what I would say is a lot of us are seeing, and I, I've seen firsthand and worked with clients on helping them do this is there's some pockets of amazing innovation in Alberta. It's, you know, we, what I love about Alberta and the oil sands and the, and the energy industry is that we have a lot of drive and energy and want to move forward and find a way. So coming to Alberta, I mean, I've been here 15 years now and that's what I, that's why I've stayed here probably the longest I've lived anywhere is I, I love that drive and energy to find a better way. It's, it's always about finding that better way of doing things or a new way of working. And for your you know, last 15 years, but so currently, do you work with clients outside of Alberta or is it, or is it mainly like from your consulting and your work with Nuna and obviously SAIT is here, but uh, are you currently working with other, other jurisdictions? Like, again, like you said, our energy industry has a little bit. It's funny though, I talk to people in the industry and it's like, wow, we have been really innovative in certain ways, but one, we didn't talk about it. Two, it was very focused on very specific problems that were related to our industry, some of those technologies that have evolved. But are, you know, from the things we're trying to solve here, are they similar? Like, is everybody, it feels like we're all also been hit by the same wave of the last kind of 14 or 18 months <laughs> yeah it is true it is and i do do i'm doing work in british columbia and working with some ontario clients okay okay and so yeah tyler you're just talking about that that change and how it's affected alberta but is it affecting across canada and yes absolutely i do work with some clients in british columbia and ontario and it affects everyone differently and even in different industries i do i do some work in the healthcare industry the financial services energy and then previously worked in telecoms industry. And what I found in my 25-year career in moving technology forward and helping people get better results from technology is that every industry has its challenges, be it regulatory in in, um, oil and gas, commodity prices in oil and gas energy, for example, regulatory in telecoms, health and and, uh, constraints in in healthcare and budget. So it's, it's really... Given the constraints you have, how, what can you do to move forward? Going back to that, where we started around this, around eliminate, optimize, and transform, it's all relative. There's, there's always something we can eliminate, optimize, and transform wherever we are in that cycle. So looking towards the, the Googles and the Apples and going, oh, we're never going to be as good as those. It's like, true, you're not, but that doesn't matter. But what, what can you do to start replicating that? What practices can you follow and apply to your own industry, be it small or large? To just move forward, just understand how we can change and be better and ultimately grow as people and, uh, and an organization. I really appreciate that. And, you know, as a business owner, it's so e- it's, it's really easy to get overwhelmed and feel like you'll never catch up. Like you just look at it and no matter where you are in an organization, there's always, there's always a Google or an Apple that's just that much farther ahead. But if you think about your people, you think about your customers, well, what can I do to kind of eliminate friction? What can I do to optimize and ultimately transform? I really, I, I like those three. Those are going to become part of my new vernacular. Uh, I read one of your articles, uh, I think it was written in 2019, but one of the things that, sh- that you know, and we're touching on here is solve the problem completely. I want to explore that a little bit uh, just in terms of you know as anyone who's following along we are going on a bit of a journey because we we talked about the right problem we talked about all the dynamics cultural and change but the problem completely and of course we're going to get into the technology a little bit at the end because everybody does like to talk about the tech but when you talk about solving it completely uh, unpack that a little bit for me yeah it's, it's solving it completely in terms of both and we always talk about users we have to keep the the customer happy and that is true absolutely vitally important to solve the 
problem completely for the the customer, the stakeholder who you're, and it could be the internal customer in terms of who you deliver your financial report or uh, or solve that service desk ticket. But it's it's solving the problem completely for everyone involved, every single stakeholder, consumer who interacts with this change that you're initiating. So if you so recently I've done them. Um, I've worked on the many cloud projects, migrating data to cloud, initiating stand up mm-hmm. cloud, or and then using that to then automate invoice processing. So solving the problem completely in terms of, for example, move the invoice processing to the cloud and then ultimately approving invoices quicker. Solving that problem completely applies to both IT stakeholders from is that data secure? Can we maintain and run that? that system and data in the cloud securely and, and efficiently and reliably all the way down to solving the problem completely for uh, the the uh, service provider who needs their invoice paid quickly. <laughs> so because if, if any one of those factors is not considered, then you're not solving that problem completely because someone's going to walk away from that, that project or initiative unhappy. And that's where it, it's not solving it completely. I appreciate they look completely tied to the impact it's going to have on all the individual people that are involved in whatever the mm-hmm. system is that you're working on or the problem that you're trying to solve. And you're right, it's really easy to fix one thing. Could the cause and effect, oh, we didn't extrapolate that out far enough to realize that, oh, this over here is actually going to cause that over there. So it's an incomplete solve. Uh, okay, that got it. Check. Yeah, yeah. a great uh, – another quick story there is the um, – we, during an agile project for a technology solution, we were working on the, the concept of doing something quicker and, and quickly. And we had the, the minimum viable product, the MVP concept. So let's do something quickly, get a, get the product in front of the, the client quickly. Uh, the elements, so minimum viable and product each had different interpretations for the group you spoke to. So from an IT point of view, minimum was what they focused on. We, we just want to do the bare minimum. We're very busy, cost constrained, not many people. Let's just do the minimum. From the marketing team, it was the, the viable. We want something that works, meets the customer need. And then from a finance point of view, they just wanted the product. They wanted to quantify the product in terms of cost and ultimately revenue, revenue generation. So even that, I, my challenge on that project was bringing together the, the three, the IT, the marketing and the finance folks, even just on something as simple as an MVP first iteration product. What even each each acronym or each letter stands for? And curious, were you able to? Did you did you find this out later on in the process, or did you identify it pretty early? Back to like really unpacking things before you get started. Yeah, this this was a great learning for me. I found this out midway through because okay. I assumed everyone knew MVP. What could go wrong? <laughs> it's not a final product. It's not yeah. the end result. It's not a complete delivery. It's just they get something out quickly to get in front of the client and the customer so they understand what they're seeing. But as we started to deliver on it, we started to hit some bumps. So I had to quickly pivot the project to really focus on making sure we have a clear understanding. And effectively, I I was using the getting to yes meetings. We, we offer and apply uh, in business environments and, and meetings is around we look for objections. We look for why something wouldn't work because we're trying to solve the problem by pulling it apart, right. which is which is okay, but it doesn't really get as much momentum as you like. So I was using a different concept where it's it's actually from when I've done uh, improv improvisation classes. We use the yes and use the to to move the scene forward. You with your yeah, you with your improvisation partner you use yes and. So in meetings, just trying that. So when you're hearing an idea for the first time. Rather than go, no, but, why it wouldn't work, switch that around. Go to, yes, and what about this, or what about IT, or what about finance, or what about the the um, marketing mm-hmm. team? 
So then we got everyone together and got everyone's understanding on the same same page, and that created the right minimum viable minimum viable product. That's such a great story of like, you know, you could blush over that and go, oh, MVP, yeah, we all know what that means. Right. Someone told me this recently, and I got to do some research, that Walt Disney had the room for the ideas, was big and bright, and there was no naysayers allowed in that room. The room for whether we can actually do it was a little bit smaller on the next floor, and the room of what could go wrong was small and under the stairs down in the basement, because he was all about don't squash the big idea until we've really kind of explored the what, the, the yes and. And I got to go look it up and just get the story right, because someone told me that, and I loved it so much, because it's so easy to go, well, yeah, but yeah, but versus yes and two very different things come next mm-hmm. when you do that. Just even as human interaction, I love that. Sometimes yeah, I've been a yeah okay. but guy, so I'm trying to be a, a yes and guy. So I really like this. I really like that story. Charlie. And it takes a practice, and I, that, that's why I love doing the improvisation. <laughs> actually, and I'm not an actor. I, I I always struggle with acting at school, and so I force myself to take a bit of un, you know, being un, uh, uncomfortable. And I actually really enjoyed the the improvisation because you're not really acting; you're just really playing around, but it, it gives you structure around it, which I've found I apply to many aspects of my life since. As, as adults, the, we lose the ability, we sometimes, we sometimes, not all, lose the ability to play. I have a, I right. have a handful of friends, like what you said, improv. I at least four or five people that I know that have gone and done improv. And these were salespeople. They were managers. Like there was no, there was no commonality except they were just, one, it was uncomfortable. And two, something about it just really appealed to them. And they had the mm-hmm. brains for it. Like they, they excelled <laughs> when they got into yes. the environment. So, hey, we kind of started, we mentioned you're an adjunct instructor, uh, digital transformation at SATE for the past couple of years. We'll talk about talent. Where are we at? Because mm. everything we're talking about here goes nowhere without the right people. And the right, right people is a pretty broad sweeping term unto, unto itself. Yeah, and it's, uh, I recently completed a digital transformation survey with 26 oil and gas energy clients in Calgary for uh, my work with Lumina Management Consulting. And we found really interesting findings actually it was a great level set on especially coming out of the 2020 pandemic year where are we with digital transformation in calgary and alberta and the energy industry and one of the the questions was around skills what what talent are we struggling with How, what, what do we see as essential to moving forward with technology change and and technology technology initiatives and there was an overriding theme and it was around integration uh, the strategic thinking of tying things together and that's not to say that technical expertise was not important because it was. It was just the shift from the, the participants' point of view was that getting access to expertise was slightly easier nowadays because we can go to very boutique companies or we can actually get that ex- train that expertise up fairly quickly with access to the internet. And get, again, going back to that Diamant, Peter Diamandis quote, getting access to the information is actually really easy these days. It's what you do with it. And so one of the, the key trends coming out of the skills was that applying that information and then pulling it together, that integrating the, the technology, the data, and the, the people together to ultimately get to solve that problem. So it's that relationship skills. It was that strategic thinking around, okay, if we pull that data with, with that technology and that, that, that uh, process and that customer need, how do we solve, apply that to solve the problem? 
which is interesting. I mean, recently, I think I read an old book, Daniel Pink, just about you know essentially the whole the whole brain, the whole mind. I can't remember what it's called. I'm misquoting it, but essentially how you know the left brain is becoming so much more um, digitized. We can do linear thinking with a computer. Who's going to bring it all together? Who's going to take the abstract right. concepts? And you know, as we as we know, the importance of the STEM uh, you know education track, but we still need people that can interact with each other. And I love what you said about integration. That's really interesting because it's so easy to go. We don't have enough full stack developers. We don't have enough people that understand the blockchain and those kind of things versus like, well, yeah, but how do we get that literacy that also allows people to integrate it all together? It yeah. feels like that can be easily forgotten because it feels a little bit softer, but yet feels like what you, I've heard from you is it can, it's the make or break on, it can be the make or break on the integration and how it all comes together in your organization. Yes. And then just refer back as treating your technology like a coworker. It goes back to that nice. teamwork collaboration. We assume technology is, you switch it on, it solves the problem. It does what it says on the tin. Whereas in reality, treating your technology like a coworker is you have to have a team. You have to have team working. You have to have collaboration. Going back to that Linda Hill book around the collective genius, pulling you to get, pulling it together is what makes the real change and impact. Not to say the ex- individual expertise is absolutely vital, but it's the, the real benefit comes from pulling it together. No, I love I love that. It, it feels like it can be easier. It can be well. It can be easy overlooked if you're starting with the technology, not necessarily with the problem, and then fill, and then you know solving it completely. So mm-hmm. I would be remiss if I didn't um, you know get your expertise or get your point of view on. So what are the shiny new pieces of technology? We, we have to get we you know we're wrapping up here, so we need to talk about it a little bit. Is there anything you're seeing that's really like obviously the world of data and that that that's been the cover of Harvard Business Review for off and on for the last kind of five eight years. Big data, big data. But now we talk about the tools that we now have to capitalize on that, whether it's machine learning or AI as a broad sweeping term or blockchain. Is there anything that you're seeing from a technology perspective that is maybe a little bit more shinier or that it's about to kind of reach that next level on the other side of the chasm of starting to really have impact on a barely, on a broader scale? Yeah, it's, it's interesting because it, it's always good to think five, ten years out and, and the flying cars and the, 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 hmm. the concept of technology. And I love that that fantasizing what we can do with technology. And then in terms of the, the, the shinier um, media attention-grabbing technologies, I mean, even looking at the NFTs, the non-fungible tokens yes. that are coming out on blockchain technology to sell digital art for $69 million. It's, uh, those are the, those are the attention grabbing media headlines that you think, yes. oh, we need to get into blockchain. Whereas I say, no, it's that having a sight of that is absolutely important. But when it comes down to where do we start with technology, which is a question I often get from my clients is if we just get going on this, what do I do? And I would start by say, say it's focus on three key elements, which is cloud and using leveraging the cloud in terms of uh, software as a service applications because that's just the way the industry is going. Plus, we have so much more uh, options with the, with the cloud uh, applications going forward. Uh, data is the second one, just leveraging that data to ultimately solve the problems. Like, let's start to get real value from all this data we're collecting. Back to that Peter Diamandis quote, we're collecting the data very quickly. What questions do we need to ask of our data? And then the third one would be uh, RPA, the Robotic Process Automation, which sounds like a big deal, but it, it really isn't because you can start, you can think of RPA as as a macro on your Excel chart. It's effectively a collection of a sequence of repeatable functions which you can program to repeat over and over again. And the, the great example I use often is the invoice processing. So under a certain threshold limit of, say, $2,000, if a, if an invoice 
has the cert, all the right data, meets a certain criteria. We just approve, approve it and pay it instantaneously. That would be a, an example of robotic process automation. We, we automate that approval pro, payment process. So yeah, so robotic, if it's focused anywhere, it'd be on cloud data and robotic process automation. I appreciate, again, cloud and data, not words we haven't heard. RPA is, is an acronym I'm starting to hear a little bit more of. And I think with the first time I heard it, my ignorance was, I think of an assembly line. I think of robots mm. that I can physically see, that maybe the way – but then the, the individual I was talking to said, no, no, and they used a banking example of processing checks when you deposit them in the instant teller. Right. And how do we automate that process? So you think about that because you're right. It does sound a little bit, whoa, that sounds big and I don't understand. But like the reality, that's all around us already in our world. Yes. <laughs> As and back, to the, back to consumers. Yeah, exactly that. And it's advanced so much over the last um, few years that that's why RPA or robotic process automation has become a concept in industry because, like I say before, it was literally robot, robots on, a, on a, uh, an automaker's production line. Whereas mm-hmm. now it's got to the point where it, uh, you apply these bots into uh, to pull elements of software together to just run a sequence of events. So it really focuses on that. If we go back to that eliminate, transform, sorry, eliminate, optimize and transform. It really, bots and robotic process automation is really on that optimized. How do we automate a transaction? Interesting. And seeing that, how it's being able to come in on so many levels, because there is so much of our organizations that are quote unquote administrative, that yeah. are repetitive, that, yeah. you know, can be standardized with a little bit of, with a little bit of discipline, which is that standardization that allows these processes to work consistently. The same mm. field on the same check is in the same place every time and it's either filled in or it's not, or, you know, some of that if this, then that type thinking. Mm-hmm. Exactly. And at that point, that's when you can start to bring in the machine learning and artificial intelligence, because mm-hmm. naturally, once you start to bring a cloud data and robotic process automation, you're already collaborating your technologies back to that, treating your technology like a coworker, the teamwork of RPA, data and cloud. You're naturally then going to start opening up doors for machine learning and artificial intelligence to say, start detecting fraud and going back to that invoice processing example. As the, uh, the robotic process automation is processing invoices hundreds a day, maybe, then the, the artificial intelligence and the machine learning could start to pull out anomalies, start to sprout fraud, start to then trend. When do invoices come in most frequently? What's the most frequent amount by who, which vendor? And then you can start to use the AI to give you suggestions around maybe we should collaborate these types of invoices and products together and then go to the vendor for a negotiation because we're buying hundreds of these widgets every month. Let's go to the vendor and talk about a discount. What I'm hearing is like those three pillars really set you up to then start taking advantage of some of this other kind of next tier or yes. emerging tech or the stuff that's getting all the sexy headlines. Let's just go exactly back to that. what's what's catching the media buzz. And if I and if I jump there too quickly because I'm excited as an executive leadership team to optimize using these tools, but I don't have the foundation in place. Back to that 70% McKinsey stat right away. Then that that stat because you can see why that stat showed up. <laughs> yes, exactly. Yes, mm, it's, a slippery, it's a slippery slope, John. Slippery slope. <laughs> <laughs> it is. Yes, and yes. Um, a quick last, you know, a little little plug for my friends over at SAIT. If I'm like looking to just become more literate in technology, if I'm a leader that's looking to just understand it, or I'm looking to become more of a, you know, I want to become a blockchain developer, is that, would you recommend like go sign up for some courses? Like I, I guess I know it's available everywhere, but I do appreciate getting involved with an organization where they've got some structure and there's been some thinking to what they've, they've put together and how it might benefit you directly as the individual. Yes, absolutely. And that, that's why I was attracted to work with SAIT and help them because they truly have applied digital transformation to their own organization. 
So they haven't just said oh, we're going like to teach. That. Yeah. yeah they, they haven't said we're just going to teach digital transformation. We're actually going to apply those concepts to how we deliver digital transformation education and learning. So yes, there are very specific courses on on the blockchain and and they're very niche technologies and they're they're excellent. But they also present and deliver these courses and and learning with instructors like myself and a few others who've really lived and breathed it. But then we also apply our digital transformation concepts to how we develop the course material. So we really nail down the problem we're trying to articulate and share with the students and then talk through the technology solutions, but then bring it back to that solving the problem completely. And that really gives us great structure for how we share the learning and really embed the learning with the students. I really appreciate also the, you know, leading by example isn't the best way. It's the only way that they've, they've adapted this and it isn't just, yeah, we deliver it. We're living it. We're breathing it because the learning then becomes, you know, exponential. Right. Yes. Uh, John loved our conversation today. He gave me so many things to think about. My brain's, my brain's going a hundred mile an hour over here, which is uh, again, my guilty pleasure of why, why I get to, why I do these interviews. I get to talk to so many interesting people. What's the, thank you so much for your share today. I love the stories and I love the structure and you've given me a real framework to think about this in a way that I just, before it was a little bit kind of a bunch of Venn diagrams all laying over top of each other, but you've given it a lot more structure today, which I really appreciate in a world that you can become overwhelmed in pretty quickly if you're not, if you're not careful, if you're not Exactly. Yeah. What's the best way for people to get a hold of you, John? If they want to, they want to learn more, they want to connect, or they want to maybe attend a webinar and get a little more involved with what you're doing. Yeah, for sure. Reach out on LinkedIn. I have a website as well. We can put the the link in the um, in the the podcast information. But uh, yeah, always happy to help. Love to chat. Even if uh, just uh, shoot me a, a direct message on LinkedIn or or text me, and we can put our, my contact details in the in the uh, podcast details. That's awesome. I, I, I appreciate that. So many ways to connect these days. There's no, there's no excuse. And ever, and I had a guest the other day. They're like, you know, it's not just Calgary. People are willing to help you. Like, reach out. Like, if you're an yes. entrepreneur, if you're dealing with a problem, like, don't stick in a, don't stay in a bubble. If you do, that's, that's, that's kind of your choice. Uh, there's so, we have such a great network. And I joke that it's one of Calgary's superpowers, but arguably, we're a pretty helpful lot. If you reach out and ask, especially on someone's like, hey, very rare are you not, are you going to get, no, I'm not going to help you. Like, it just doesn't work that way. But sometimes we're scared to ask, even though we, like, believe i don't think that that's not true <laughs> yes exactly there's a great quote from um dan sullivan who's um a canadian entrepreneur and and coach and he he always said ask it's not it's not how it's who so think for sure think about the how am i going to solve this problem but as quickly as you can think about who who i need to involve who i can talk to who i can ask and that ties neatly to the peter diamandis quote around the yeah. the amount of information we have available to us it's about asking the right questions, and that means going to the who, not how. I love that. That is that is a that is a perfect mic drop moment. Uh, John, thank you so much for your time today. I loved I loved our chat, and I loved your insights. Uh, I look forward to chatting again. Thank you, sir. That was great stuff. Thanks, Tyler. Really enjoyed that. Mm-hmm.